Welcome and thanks for listening to another show of The Health Zone. I'm Mihal Mahuna. Check out and like our Facebook page on www.facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show or follow us on Twitter on the letter D Health Zone or log on to our website on www.thehealthzoneshow.com If you subscribe to our mailing list on there, you will get The Health Zone Show delivered to your inbox every week and also you'll get a copy of our free book called How to Transform Your Health in 2016. Also, if you have any feedback on the show or if you would like to get in touch with us, our email is tunein at thehealthzoneshow.com. Today I'm talking with New York Times best-selling author of the book Dying to Be Me, Anita Morjani. Hello, Anita. Hi, Michal. It's lovely to meet you. Yes, same to you. Tell me, Anita, what was your life like before you had the cancer? Um, it was pretty much like a, an ordinary, a regular a life. I was just living life as a regular person, but I was also considerably, like I was quite fearful. And a lot of it, I think, was because of the way I was brought up. And also, um, I used to, I, my best friend had been diagnosed with cancer. And as I was watching her deteriorate, I started to really, really become fearful about cancer because she was the same age as me. And we were both pretty young in our late 30s. And, um, and I thought, if, if this can happen to her, it can happen to me. So I started researching everything I could do to avoid getting cancer. And the more I researched on the internet, the more I learned that so many things caused cancer. And this made me really, really fearful. So I started to become vegan because I would read that, that there was hormones in meat that could make, you know, that could make you get cancer, that... And I would read that there was um, pesticides in vegetables. And, and so, my, so I would really restrict my diet. I thought, I am going to make sure I don't get cancer. And so I was really fearful about everything I put into my body. And um, I would avoid using microwave ovens and plastics and so on and on and on. And... And I'm not saying that those things are good or bad one way or the other, but the, the main thing was I lived in total and complete fear, and my biggest fear was getting cancer. And what subsequently happened was that I got cancer. And, um, and I was the person that would, um, I would um, drink wheatgrass juice every day. I would grow my own wheatgrass. I would research the internet for antioxidant supplements. I would order everything on the market. Um, and so when I got cancer, I was really, really quite surprised. I was shocked. And because I thought I was the poster child of anti-cancer stuff. Do you think it was the fear that caused the cancer or was it something else? Oh, yes. For me, I feel it was the fear of cancer and it was the high focus on cancer and watching my friend die or deteriorate and then die of cancer. So I became obsessed with cancer in some way or another, even if it means obsessed with avoiding cancer, I was still obsessed with cancer. And so uh, when I was diagnosed with cancer, 
um, that was a shock to me. And I was diagnosed with lymphoma and then, and the lymphoma was, it was, it started with a lump on the base of my neck and over a period of four years, it spread and reached a point where I had tumors from the base of my skull, um, all around my neck, under my arms, in my chest, into my abdomen. And some of these tumors were the size of lemons. And, and as the cancer progressed, um, my body stopped absorbing nutrition. So my muscles deteriorated. My lungs would, uh, were filled with fluid. Um, I could no longer walk because my muscles had completely de deteriorated or degenerated. Um, so I was in a wheelchair. I was connected to oxygen, piped oxygen. Um, and I had these big open skin lesions where toxins would come out. And I, um, I was so weak. I weighed about 85 pounds that I was so weak that even my, I could, I didn't even have the strength in my neck to hold my head up. And then on February the 2nd, 2006, I went into a coma and I didn't wake up. And that's when my husband, my family, my mother was there taking care of me. My husband was there and they were frantic and, and I was being cared for at home. And so my husband called the doctor and the doctor said, we'll have to bring her into the hospital. And so my husband rushed me to the hospital and the doctors, when they looked at me, they said these were my final hours and that I was now dying. And the doctors also confirmed that my organs were now shutting down one by one. And so they said I was not going to come out of this coma. How were you feeling during this time when you were going through the cancer? So when I was going through the cancer, I was um, really, really fearful, like really fearful. Every day I would wake up hoping it was a bad dream and it wasn't. And every day I would obsess about how I was going to get rid of this cancer. It felt as if I was, I had tried everything and it was still progressing and, and I just couldn't kick the fear just the fear of what it was doing to me. I was scared of death. I was scared of cancer. Um, and I would, I, I, I didn't want attention brought on it by other people. Like I would avoid seeing people because I didn't want to constantly talk about it to other people. And I feared my thoughts. I feared my fear because I believed um, I believed in the law of attraction and I believed that I had somehow brought it on to myself and I feared uh, how I had brought it on. I feared my thoughts because I felt my thoughts had brought on the cancer. Do you think at the time, like the fear was blocking your own capacity to heal? Yes, absolutely. Um, I feel that what, what I realized later was that, was that, love is a very healing emotion and when we do anything even when we eat healthy when I, if i choose to eat healthy i would choose now i know that i choose to eat healthy because of love because i love my life i'm passionate about my life because i love myself not because i fear illness because um 
even if you're doing the right thing, you're putting the right stuff in your body, when you're doing it out of fear, the body receives it in a very different way. And, and so, yes, I, I was, the fear was a huge part in me deteriorating because I feared everything, not just the cancer, but the type of person I was. Um, I was a people pleaser. I, I did everything because I feared the results. I never, I always said yes, even when I meant no, because I didn't want to displease other people. Um, I always treated myself like a doormat and I was, um, I, I was really someone who let people walk all over me. Why do you think you were doing this? Because uh, all of it was fear. If I had to put it down to one word, I lived a fearful life. Every decision I made uh, was driven by fear and not by love, which means that I was, every decision was made because of the fear of the results of not doing it rather than making a decision because it's something I want to do or I love to do. It was more like, okay, let me do this because if I don't do it, this is what will happen. And I feel that living a whole lifetime of fear just completely drained me to the point where I got cancer. And I never loved myself. I never, ever loved myself. I always put myself last and, um, and I, and I always put other people first. I believed it was selfish to take care of myself. And I even remember when I got the cancer, I, there was something in me that felt, ah, oh, finally I can take care of myself. And it was, it was almost like it was a reason now to take care of myself. Anita, going through that period of time, like what do you think was the most challenging thing for you? Um, I was in a huge amount of discomfort. And I think for me, the most challenging thing was the fear I felt of not just the cancer, but I believed that, um, that my thoughts and had brought it on. And it was the fear of my thoughts because, um, it was very, very popular at that time that your thoughts create your reality. And I thought, and I believed that my thoughts had created this and I did not know how to change my thoughts, that if my thoughts has cre have created this, how can I change my thoughts and why is it that my condition is still deteriorating? It means there's something wrong with my thoughts. It means I must be a really negative person. And then I was constantly suppressing my thoughts and that is, that is one of the worst things you can do when you're scared of your own thoughts and you're constantly suppressing your thoughts. Well, how were your emotions around that period of time? Do you think you were suppressing those? I was because I was so scared that everything I was doing was contributing to the cancer. I really was. I was scared about everything, about my emotions and everything I was feeling and everything I was thinking. And I really felt everything was just contributing to the cancer. And what was your family's response to all of this, Anita? My family were trying to be extremely supportive. Um, they were, um, my family, my immediate family were very supportive. But I started cutting myself off from other people because I felt that no matter what I was doing, I was getting fear-based responses, which, which continued to feed my fear. Like, for example... If I chose a naturopathic route of healing, um, then I would have all the people who believed in conventional medicine 
would be saying things like, how could you do that? Don't be so irresponsible. Um, you've got to have, like the doctors are saying, you've got to have chemotherapy. And so that's what you have to do. And, and, and so they would put this fear in me that, that this is something you must do, you must do. But then if I turned to chemotherapy, when I would turn and contemplate chemotherapy, I would have all the people in the, on the natural side saying, how can you put those toxins in your body? Because as it is, um, your, your body is sick and you, and you cannot heal a sick body by putting toxins in. And do you know what is in chemotherapy? And, and so they would scare me. People would scare me if I went that route. So I found that no matter, no matter what I did, whichever way I turned, there was fear. And this is why today when I talk to people about cancer, I tell them, I tell the people who care for can, care for people who have cancer that you've got to support them because the biggest thing, the biggest hurdle to get over is the fear, not the treatment itself, but it's the fear. That's the biggest thing. I suppose that means the fear within the person caring for the person as well, isn't it? Yes, it's the fear within the person caring. If you're fearful, then stop caring for the person who has cancer because you're not helping. Um, the people who support someone who has cancer, they literally have to support them in their journey the way the person who has cancer has chosen to have the journey. And the person who has cancer has to choose what feels right in their heart and not choose from a place of fear. And so I have a whole um, lot of things that I, that I tell people now who have cancer, having been through it myself. I know how it feels every step of the way, every step, every response, every reaction. And one of the things that I speak out against a lot is the fact that we know, and it's been scientifically proven that fear suppresses our immune system and that is a scientific fact because when you're in fear you go into fight or flight and for your body to release the hormones to deal with fighting or flying it has to switch off the immune system because it doesn't need that at the moment and that's where it gets the the energy from so to speak and even though we know this factually um, the medical system or medical institutions still instill fear. I mean, when you go and when you go to uh, a hospital or a doctor, uh, you feel fearful. At least I did. I did. And, and the very institutions that are supposed to heal you, a lot of times the things they tell you instill fear in you. It doesn't make you feel that you're supported and you're here to get well very often it's the opposite and so I speak a lot about this that the first and foremost thing that these institutions have to do is to reduce the fear and make you feel safe first and then you become more receptive to whatever forms of healing they say that the fear behind all fear is the fear of death the do you think this death, is true yes I do think so because I've overcome my fear of death, and what happens is that it makes you overcome your fear of life. Once you, once you stop fearing death, you live life more fully. And what do you mean by this? Um, the biggest fear, the, because the worst case scenario in anything is death. That's really the worst case. That's what we fear, because when you, 
when you reduce any kind of fear, like when you fear failing and what, what's the worst thing that can happen if that happens, if when you fear illness, what's the worst thing that can happen? Ultimately, the biggest fear is death. What happens after we die? That is our life meaningless and it's all for naught. But as soon as you've overcome your fear of death, because I realize death is not to be feared and it is just the most amazing and blissful state, that death is something absolutely not to be feared, then I've then there's nothing to fear in life. And Anita, why do you think that so many of us are conditioned to fear death? Um, I think it's the way we have been taught and the way religion has been misinterpreted, interpreted or misinterpreted. I think that some of the great prophets, like whether it's Jesus or Buddha or Krishna, they came down with very beautiful messages, but I think over the years it's been interpreted and misinterpreted in ways that actually make people fear the afterlife. And, and as a result, uh, over the years also, um, I think that all our institutions use fear to, well, I guess control us for want of a better word, but basically our governments use fear um, our education systems use fear. It's always the fear of the punishment. It's never an incentive. It's never motivation to lead a better life and, and, you know, and to dream big dreams. It's not about that. It's about the fear, the fear of, of going against the law and being in prison. It's the fear of failing at school and not getting into the good colleges or universities and not getting a good job. So we have become a pathologically fear-driven race instead of a, what I call a love-driven race because there are only two driving forces behind everything we do. Um, it's either love or fear. And when I say love or fear... Um, I would say whether we do something out of passion or joy, all of that falls under love. Even if we do something because we love other people, that's all love. Fear-driven choices means fear of the consequences of not doing it. Or, yeah. So, but we have, we, we're not even aware of it. We don't even think about it because we've been conditioned to think this way from the time we're young. We are encouraged to study things that, um, more out of a fear of failing. Like we're not told, follow your heart, follow your passion and find a career that makes your heart sing and, and something that makes you feel joyful. No, we're told, find something that's going to earn you money and put food on your table. So immediately there's this fear that I'm not going to have enough money. And then our choices start to become choices made from the perspective that Everything becomes a financial choice and everything is about having enough money, which is fear-based choices. And Anita, do you think this fear is part of the collective consciousness or is it something else? Um, it has become part of the collective consciousness because we have our systems, our education, our religions, all of them, our governments continue to instill it in us. And the way I would define collective consciousness is when everybody thinks a certain way and it becomes the normal way of thinking and they're not even aware that they're thinking that way. And so their truth or their actions and everything they do, their decisions are derived from that basis, but they're not even aware that the basis 
from which their thinking might be flawed. I know you said that you discovered the truth of who you really are. What do you mean by this? So when I uh, was in the coma, um, unbeknownst to everyone around me, I had... Um, I was actually aware of everything that was happening around me. And I was aware that I was dying and that I was going into another realm. And I, um, and I was aware in that other realm that when we die, we leave behind not only our physical bodies, but our gender, our race, our religion, our um, and in fact, all our thoughts, our beliefs, our culture, all of it gets left behind. And all the layers and layers of filters that we have accumulated over a lifetime. And all of that gets left behind. And when I was in that realm, I realized that even though I leave all of that behind, I'm not something much smaller or less it doesn't make me smaller to leave all that behind. In fact, I realized I was something far, far greater. And all of those things were just labels that limited me. And in actuality, who I was was just pure essence. And we can call it pure essence. We can call it pure love. I can call it pure God. It doesn't matter what we call it. But it was something so pure and yet so powerful and so limitless and it was so freeing to feel that, like really, really freeing. All the burdens and the weight and the pain and the labels and the thoughts and the fear and everything was just gone. It was just gone when I was in that coma state. It was just the most blissful and beautiful feeling. And it made me realize that I am actually a powerful being. In fact, we all are, but we don't realize it when we're in our physical bodies. And I encountered my deceased father who had passed away 10 years prior. And he wanted me to know that it wasn't my time and that I needed to go back. But I didn't want to go back because my body was sick and dying. And I had been suffering and my family had been suffering, taking care of me. So I really didn't want to go back. But um, my father, it was like my father was communicating with me and wanting me to know that there were gifts waiting for me here in the physical realm and that I had already suffered enough. And as a result of the suffering, that there was going to be gifts um, because of, you know, everything that I had learned and, and, and everything. So if I didn't go back, I would kind of be wasting those gifts. Um, and it was like in that moment, it was like I entered this, this feeling of absolute clarity where I realized that every choice and every decision I had made in my life had led me to that point where I was lying there on that hospital bed dying in that moment. And the clarity was amazing because I knew in that moment, I could see it. I could see every point of time in my life, every decision, and I could see how I had got the cancer and how I had forsaken myself and, and how I had always put myself last and never loved myself. And I realized that now that I knew this truth and now that I knew the truth of who I really am, that I'm not any of those things I thought I was and I'm something 
far greater, far more powerful. You know, I even realized that because I had not known this, I'd never expressed the truth of who I really am, that my body had just shriveled up and got cancer. And I knew that now I knew this truth, that if I chose to go back into my body, that my body would heal and it would heal very quickly. And it felt like it was around that moment that my father said to me, now that you know the truth, go back and live your life fearlessly. And it was around that time that I started to come out of the coma. I started to open my eyes. And, and then when I started to come out of the coma, my, my family were really surprised. And of course, I was really groggy in the beginning and really weak and really confused. And I didn't know what had happened. And so I would just kept saying, dad is here. And dad said, it's not my time. I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to die. And so my family just thought maybe I was hallucinating. And then the doctor came, came in. And even though he was a doctor that had only started um, treating me or looking at me after I went into the coma, I recognized him because I, I could, I had been, even though I was in the coma, I was aware of everybody and everything that was going on around my physical body in the room. So when the doctor came in, I said, hi, Dr. Chan. And he said, how did you know my name? And I said, oh, weren't you the person that was here and was, you know, taking fluid out of my lungs this morning? And he said, yes, but you were in a coma. And so everybody was kind of confused as to what was going on. But I, and when he left the room, I said to my husband, isn't he the doctor that said that these were my final hours and that my organs were shutting down? And my husband said, how could you have heard that? He said that outside the room. And so that's when they started to realize something had happened. But within four days, my tumor shrunk by 60%. In three weeks, they were having trouble finding any trace of cancer in my body. Um, I was building up strength and the tubes were coming out slowly. But in five weeks they could find no trace of cancer and they let me go home from the hospital. During that experience, did you have any connection with a higher power or anything? Um, that's an interesting question because my definition of a higher power has changed since that experience because it was like I merged with the higher power and became the higher power. We, in other words, we feel separate from the higher power when we're here in the physical body but in actuality, we're not. Each and every one of us is an expression of the higher power. And when, when we're not in our physical body, we realize that we are one with it. We're merged with it. So the higher power expresses itself through us. So essentially, the higher power is within ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. What was the response of the doctors and your family? You coming out of the coma, Anita? The doctors couldn't believe it. They didn't even know what to write in my medical records. Um, I was invited to speak at, at medical conferences to share my story. My story came out in a local Hong Kong newspaper. Um, and I was invited on the radio to speak and to share my story. So they couldn't, they couldn't really explain it. And of course, when you're dealing with scientists and all, um, there were quite a few of them who completely believed me and who said, who said, yes, we have spoken to other patients who've had experiences like yours and your, 
cancer healing was phenomenal and we need to study this more so we can help other people. But in the medical community, you always have two sides. There was also, of course, the other side where the people just said, oh, it was it was the drugs. You were delusional. You were just hallucinating. And, um, you know, and what you had was a spontaneous remission. We don't deny that. But but no, you did not. The, the you know, the, the other the mental experience or whatever you want to call it, that was just your mind playing tricks on you. Um, but yes, we have to study the spontaneous remission, but there's no real explanation for it yet, but science will figure it out one day. So basically they were ready to dismiss what had happened. So you're dealing with both in the medical community. It's quite, people's views are quite mixed. There's quite a broad spectrum. But after a while I got a little bit tired of sharing my story because because although there were a lot of people that believed me, dealing with the skeptics became very, very tiring because I always felt I had to defend myself and I just got tired of doing it. Um, and I had one, there was one very fantastic oncologist in the US that was so fascinated by my case that he flew to Hong Kong, which is where it happened. And I took him to the hospital and he called for the medical records and he went through the entire medical records. He even photocopied a lot of the pages and he studied them. And he said, whichever way I look at it, you should be dead. And um, he even sent copies of my records to like five different cancer institutes around the world, all of whom con confirmed to him that they'd never, ever seen a case like this. And what fascinated him the most was how quickly the cancer cells left my body. And he said, that's something that nobody has ever seen. He says, spontaneous remission is one thing, but what he said that they could not deny was that even uh, like, what is a spontaneous remission? It's when the switch in within your body flicks from um, a cell dying mode to a cell regenerating mode, like something flicks internally to where you're no longer dying and your body has now decided to live. But he said, my body was already ridden with billions of cancer cells. What cannot be explained is where did they go? How did they leave my body so quickly, especially when my medical records show that my organs were already shutting down as well? So he said, even if I had a spontaneous remission, it should have taken six months to a year for me to be cancer free. And yet the medical records show that within five weeks, they couldn't find any trace of cancer. So that's, that's something he said that he can't explain. And the only thing he can think of is divine intervention or some kind of higher power. And my, and when he asked me, what's your explanation in your own words? And what I said was, I realized I became that higher power. And then there was no there was no room in that form to have cancer. And he said, that's a beautiful explanation, but it's not going to fly with the medical community. And I said, no, I know it's not. And that's why I stopped sharing my story for a while. And what about your family then, Anita, around that time? My family were absolutely supportive. And, you know, um, being, I guess, of perhaps because we're Asian culture or whatever, my mother, for example, she prayed in the Hindu temple and she felt Shiva had listened to her. My sister-in-law, who's a Buddhist, 
she was chanting solid and she believes in that and she felt the chanting had worked. Um, I had another friend who was who is a Catholic and she went to the church to pray for me and she felt Jesus had listened to her. So in that sense, I did have people around me who believed that it was a miracle and, and you know, they... And and I guess in, in a way it was. And internally what I felt was I had touched that part of myself that is one with the higher power. I had become it. I had accessed it. And I'd realized that that higher power is expressing through me. And when I know that higher power is expressing through me, how can I have illness? So, yeah, my family were very supportive. But it was mostly... I felt a little bit of um, hesitation uh, in sharing it to the greater world at first. But my story was already there on the Internet and it started to go viral. And and then it was discovered by Wayne Dyer and uh, he got his publishers, Hay House, to track me down. And then they asked me to write the book, which they said they would publish and Wayne promoted the book, and um, he Wayne spoke to me. He called, uh, we spoke on the phone, and uh, he said to me that you have a very important story, and I want to make sure everybody, everybody in the world hears it. And and I actually said to him, I said, you know, um, when I came back, I thought it was a very important story. I wanted to shout it from the rooftops, but then. I was challenged by some people in medicine and so on. And uh, so I stopped sharing it. And he said to me, that's not a reason to stop sharing it. Being challenged, it means that you're challenging their truths. And that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. It means your story is reaching wider audiences um, and not just, just the people within the spiritual circles. It needs to go wide. It needs to shatter what people think of in terms of illness and cancer and, and all that and disease. So he said, it's a good thing if you get challenged. So that changed my perspective. And I said, OK, let's do it. Anita, how do you think the experience changed your own view of the world? It changed the, my view of the world drastically because um, I used to think it was important to please people and that if I pleased people, I was a good person. Um, when I was in the other realm, I realized that more important than anything is to be myself, because if I am an expression of the higher power, as are you, as is everyone, to deny any part of me means to deny the higher power. And the more I suppress myself, the more I'm saying other people have more right than I do or the higher power expressing itself as that person has more right than the higher power has in expressing itself through me. There is a reason why I'm here. And the only reason is to be me. And this applies to everybody. The reason is to be who we are. And I realized that the reason we get lost and confused is because we've been taught to look outside for our answers and to be influenced by other people. We we're taught that to comply and to listen. But in actuality, if we're taught to turn inward, to listen to our own heart, then we follow our own truth. 
And the reason why we even get sick or get violent is because we have lost ourselves. We've lost our soul because we've never been taught to turn inwards. And people are afraid also that, oh, if we tell everyone to be who they are, um, they're all going to go crazy and we're, you know, everybody's just going to go kill each other and, and loot. And, and, but in fact, it's the opposite. We're doing all those things because we've lost ourselves. We've lost our heart. We've lost our souls. And, and we're lost because we've never been taught to go inward. We keep turning outward for our answers and we get different answers wherever we go. We get conflicting information and um, we, we try and study the right subjects, take the safe choices and still find we're without a job and we're struggling and suffering. Whereas if from the time we're young, we were taught to follow our heart, follow our passion and do what makes our heart sing, we wouldn't have that problem. Um, so, so basically what I realized was that the most important thing is to honor who we are, to be who we are. And the more we allow ourselves to be who we are, the less likely we are to actually be hateful and violent and the less likely we are also to live a life of fear and to have illnesses. They say that the longest journey is from the head to the heart. <laughs> Do you think that is true? Yes, it is, especially under the circumstances of the way we have structured our systems, you know, our, our education systems, governments, medical systems, and so on. The longest journey is definitely from the head to the heart because we've made it difficult. We judge people who come from the heart and we call them things like we say they're, they're delusional, they're unrealistic, they're woo-woo, and we judge them. And we over-glorify intellectual thinking and, and we tend to um, underplay anything that's from the heart. We tend to dismiss it, not even underplay it. We absolutely dismiss it as being um as being frivolous so and and that's how we've created this huge imbalance and what we see happening in the world today is not a problem of individuals it's not like oh i have to put those people behind bars and the problem will be over it's not that it's a systemic problem it's um you know we have to heal the cancer within our hearts and then the world will heal and do you think if the world was more heart-focused rather than head-focused, it would be a lot different world? Completely different. It would be completely different if we honoured the feelings of our hearts. Um, and we would still use our heads. I think it would, be, it would have to become more balanced because I'm not advocating that we all just live from our heart. But at the moment, it's completely imbalanced where everybody has lost their heart and soul. And this is what we're seeing right now. Anita, when you look at your experience with cancer, how do you feel right now? It was a gift. I feel that it was a gift. I thought the cancer was killing me. And um, a lot that's what a lot of people would interpret it as the cancer was killing me. But actually, the cancer came to save my life because I was killing myself. And the other thing I want to say is for people who believe that their thoughts create their reality and that your negative thoughts create your negative reality, I would, uh, I would say stop fearing your thoughts because that's not 100% true. That um, 
It's not your thoughts. It's not, it, it's not that we have to be positive all the time. We have to be who we are. We have to allow ourselves to be who we are. It's much more important to be yourself than it is to be positive. It's also important for you to start loving yourself, honoring yourself, and realizing that you are an expression of the higher power. And we can call it universe, God, whatever. But you are a part of it. You are no less than it because it is expressing itself through you. You carry it within you. The higher power is looking out from behind your eyes. And the more we realize it, the more our reality will reflect that. So it's not about your thoughts. It's about becoming aware that I am, a, I am an expression of the higher power. What are your thoughts on our life being the purpose to create peace and happiness within ourselves and in the world that we're living in? I think that's uh, absolutely correct. And I think that when we connect with ourselves, when we are in touch with our own heart, if each person were just in touch with their own heart, we would have peace. We wouldn't even have to go and try and spread it. It's the responsibility of each individual to get in touch with their own heart. And once we're in touch with our own heart and there is peace within ourselves, there will be peace in the whole world. What would you say to anyone who's like listening in and they might be living an inauthentic life at the moment, Anita? How could they change that or turn that around for themselves? First of all, I would say become aware. Um, start, start a journey of discovering who you really are. And some of the questions you can ask yourself to just get kick-started on the journey. Uh, one question would be, what would I be doing if I did love myself? And see what comes up for you. Um, also, what would I be doing if money wasn't an issue? If I wasn't afraid of not having enough money, what would I be doing? And questions like this. And as you ask these questions, you start on a journey of discovering who your authentic self is. Um, and meditation is a good thing. Like getting in touch with yourself is, is a good thing. And people worry a lot about fulfilling obligations they say oh i can't i can't be i can't follow my heart or do my thing because i've got obligations i've got kids to take care of and um aging parents and so on i know it's tough when you have obligations but what i want to tell people is that imagine if you realized that everybody who did anything for you, like everybody who took care of you or did things for you, imagine if you found out they did it out of obligation and not out of love, how would you feel? You would feel terrible. You would rather they didn't do it and that they were honest and, and did what, you know, and followed their heart. So basically, when you love yourself and you do things for yourself, you don't stop doing things for other people, but what ends up happening is when you do things for other people, you do them out of love and not out of obligation because you have so much love within you that you want to share it. You cannot do things out of love for other people if you don't have love for yourself. When you don't have love for yourself, the things you do for other people end up being out of obligation and obligation drains you even more. And if you're doing this with your kids, you are teaching your children to do this as well 
because your children don't learn from what you say, they learn from who you are. So you are teaching them to repeat this pattern of not loving themselves and doing things also out of obligation for their own generation to come. So my suggestion is to become aware of where you're not loving yourself, where you're not honoring yourself and not being authentic and, and finding your life of joy. And it doesn't mean you drop everything right now because that would make you even more fearful, but it means start to become aware so that you can gradually move towards it. As you become aware of something, it starts to pop up more and more in your life. If you're not even aware of it, you won't even see it if it's under your, your nose. So being aware of it is the first step. A listener of our show who's lived a life of faithful service to community is now experiencing cancer for the fifth time in succession and is currently struggling with her body's response to the chemotherapy. Oh, Anita, what would you say to her to help her to turn the body's experience around and reach for a healing that she desires? I would say that, first of all, um, first of all, my heart goes out to her. And so first, and then the second thing I would say is that let go, see if she can let go of the need to be healed and also let go of the idea that her body even has cancer and not focus on the cancer and now start focus on living. Even if she has to go to doctors, hospitals, whatever for treatment, don't make that the focal point of her life. She is not... Her life is not about the cancer, and I would want her to know this. I had made my life about the cancer. I would want her to focus on living. Start focusing every day on reasons why she has to live. And wake up every morning telling yourself or imagining that the doctor has just given you a clean bill of health. You have an absolute clean bill of health. And imagine hearing this news. What does it feel like? It feels really amazing. So what would you do to go and celebrate? And I would ask her to go and do it. I would ask her to live every day in celebration as though she is healed. And not live every day as a person who has cancer. And don't even focus on the cancer and just do all the things right now that she's passionate about. Give yourself so many reasons to live. Be with people who love you. Be with people you love and all of that. And, and laugh, really laugh a lot. Connect with people who make you laugh. And all of these things are more healing than just faith alone. What would you say is the key in your own experience to living a more healthier, happier and authentic life? Um, the key is to whenever you're making a choice about anything, and this goes for the, the lovely lady who has cancer, that every choice we make in, in life, every choice we're faced with, whether it's a choice of work, a job, somebody you know, getting married or choosing a home, ask yourself, am I making this choice out of fear? That is fear of the consequences of not making this choice or out of love? And what this means is that, and this includes foods we eat as well. It's like everything. So if I'm making a choice out of, out of fear, it means um, am I getting married because I'm scared of being left alone, uh, growing old alone, or my biological clock is running out? Those are fear-based reasons to get married. 
Or am I getting married to this person because I love them and I love myself as well and I deserve to, to have a good marriage? Um, you know, and this goes with everything. Am I taking this job because it's something I'm passionate about? It's what I want to do. It's what I believe in. Or am I taking this because I fear not having enough money and this will bring me enough money? And I would say that if you make every choice out of love, you will have an amazing life, which is your life. It doesn't mean you won't have challenges, but your challenges will help you to grow because you will be building a life that is your life that comes from your heart. When we make fear-based choices, um, we live a life that is not our life. It's the life of what we think other people expect of us because we have made our choices out of the fear of displeasing other people or d doing the wrong thing. And the life we, we end up leading is not authentic. It's not our life because we've made all our choices from fear. And when we face issues and problems, they become, they feel insurmountable because we don't know how to resolve them. So two very different lives just from one simple thing is every decision we make, make it out of love and not from fear. That's all. It's as simple as that. I know you're in Ireland at the end of this month. Can you tell me a little bit about this, Anita? Yes. On Wednesday, February the 24th, I'll be speaking in Dublin. And I would love it if you and everyone and anyone else listening in could come and join me and come and say hi. How can they find out details about this, Anita? Uh, they can go to my website, which is anitamurjani.com, under the events, or they can go to my Facebook page, also under the events, and they can find out more about this. Um, and I would love, of course, for people, after hearing this interview, to come and join my Facebook page and, and please, you know, post there and, and check out some of the things I have going on. And if people want to find out about your book or buy your book, how could they do that? They could. My book is available on Amazon, but also um, they can find the link to my book on Amazon through my website on anitamurjani.com. My book is called Dying to Be Me, My Journey from Cancer Through Death to, to True Healing. Thanks so much for, for chatting today, Anita. I really enjoyed it. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, thank you. It was a, the pleasure was mine, and thank you for calling in. You're very welcome, and I hope you enjoy your stay in Cork as well. Oh, I'm sure I will, and thank you again. Well, thanks for listening to another show of the Health Zone. Tune in next week for more exciting and interesting topics and guests in the areas of spirituality, relationships, finance, creativity, health, career, and much, much more. In the meantime, check out and like our Facebook page on www.facebook.com forward slash The Hellstone Show or follow us on Twitter on the letter D Hellstone or log on to our website www.thehellstoneshow.com If you subscribe to our mailing list on there, you will get The Hellstone Show delivered to your inbox every week and also you will get a copy of our free book called How to Transform Your Health in 2016. Also, if you have any feedback on the show, or if you would like to get in touch with us, our email is tunein at thehealthzoneshow.com. Well, until next week, have a fantastic, healthy, and happy week. Away.